For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to this passage. We pray that we would see Jesus, that we would find our hope and confidence in him, but also, Lord, that we would be stirred up stirred up to follow him as a faithful servant. Lord, lead us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are taking a short break in our series on 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to leave Samuel and Eli and his sons there in ancient Israel for a little while. And instead, pause to turn to this well-known parable of the talents because it's the first Sunday of our new fiscal year. And some of you who are visiting this morning said, great, I've come on the Sunday, he's going to talk about money. Well, I'm not going to talk about money this morning. Instead, I want us to think more generally about our lives, and that's why we're turning to Matthew chapter 25. And here's the question that I want to pose to you today, and I'd love for you to wrestle with it just a little bit. Do you approach life with confidence or with dread? Do you approach life with confidence or with dread? 
Does your faith in God make you bold, willing to take risks? Or are you afraid? Are you always wondering when the next bad thing is going to happen to you? I think that this parable teaches us that a faith-filled life will abound in fruitfulness. But when our lives are constricted by fear, we will fall into passivity and ultimately unbelief. A faith-filled life will abound in fruitfulness. A life that is constrained by fear will be passive and ultimately lead to unbelief. The parable is relatively easy to understand. We've got a wealthy merchant. He's getting ready to go on a long journey. He's got three trusted staff, and he brings them in, and he distributes his wealth among them, entrusting them to take care of his property while he's gone. Verse 15, to the first one he gives five talents. I think everyone knows this isn't a talent like we think of talent, singing and dancing and poetry and things like this. It's a measurement of weight. But what we may not understand is exactly what that means. Is it like a lot of corn that he's given him? Like what is, what is he passing away or passing along to these servants? Well, they used talents in ancient Israel to measure large sums of money. And a talent was essentially equal to about 20 years' worth of wages. So think about what this master has given his servant. He's given him five talents. Five times 20 is 100. 100 years of wages. Say you make 70 grand a year. The master has just given this guy $7 million. That's what his responsibility is. Now, the next guy, he gives two talents for 40 years, roughly $3 million. To the third servant, he gives one talent. Again, 20 years worth of wages, still more than a million dollars. And then he leaves. And it's up to these servants to take care of the money. He doesn't give them any instructions. Did you notice that? There's no indication that he has a plan for this money. After a long time, verse 19, the man comes back, he opens up his ledger, and he begins to settle his accounts. And the first two servants come up with good news. They have doubled their money. Now, I don't know how you double your money in any economy. I don't think those guys invested in mutual funds, okay? I look at my 401k, and I'm thinking, I'm never going to double that money. I mean, you almost get the sense that they were risky with it. Did they go out and play the lotto? Like, how did you come back with this much money? But however it was, whatever they did, what they did is they said, okay, the master has given us this money to go out and use. I'm going to go out and use it. The word that is used here in the parable is they traded with it, which is a beautifully ambiguous word. We're not exactly sure what it means. But they traded with it. They took the master at his word and they acted. And they are commended for their faithfulness over little. Can you imagine? $7 million. That's little. Now I'm going to give you something even greater than that. And then this marvelous phrase at the very end with each of these guys, come and enter into the joy of your master. But the third servant, verse 24 
He hid his money in the ground. Now that sounds weird to you and I, but that was actually pretty common in the ancient Near East. It was a way to protect your wealth. Say there was a marauding army coming down towards your village. The easiest way to make sure that everything was still intact was to dig a hole and to put all of your goods in that hole to make sure that you could come back to it later. I mean, in some ways, what this third servant is doing is very understandable. It seems proper. The other servants are far riskier, far more dangerous in the way that they're using the master's money. Because after all, this guy has been gone for a long time. This servant didn't lose any of his money. Oh no, he actually just gives it all back to him. Nothing has been gained, but nothing has been lost either. But then strangely, he turns on his master. And it's almost like he's seen what has happened with the other two guys, and he needs to make some excuses for why his performance has been different. He turns on his master, and he has the gall to complain about him. He says, I think you're greedy. I think you're unscrupulous. And I was afraid of you. That's why I hid the money in the ground. And of course, the master condemns the servant for not even doing the smallest thing that would have increased his wealth. He kicks him out into the darkness. Why is Jesus telling us this parable? What's the point of this parable? Well, pay attention to where the parable lands in the gospel. The gospel of Matthew has a narrative arc, has a story that it's telling. And in this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his own death. He's preparing them for the fact that he is going to go away for a long time. This parable is told in the last week of Jesus' life between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And all through this section of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is helping his disciples understand what's happening around them, what's going to happen to him, how they should act while he is gone, what they should do until he comes back. And so in this parable, he is telling his disciples to wait in faith for his return. Wait in faith for my return. And if you don't wait in faith, it's going to be dangerous. In fact, there's a danger to unbelief. When the master returns in the parable, he tallies the results of the servant's life. Those who lived in anticipation of his return, those who confidently use the gifts that the master gives to them, well, they saw an increase. But the one who lived in fear, the one who was afraid of the master, he was condemned. Condemned for his passivity, condemned for his inaction. Jesus is calling on his disciples and he's calling on you and me to see ourselves in this parable. He's the master who's getting ready to go on a long journey. And that journey will take him to the cross and to death and to burial. But that won't be the end of his journey. He will rise again. 
But human history won't be complete until He returns to establish His kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. And we need to be like these faithful servants, confidently living in anticipation of Jesus' coming, using the gifts that He's given us, providentially distributed among us, using them for God's glory. What does that look like? What kind of life is Jesus calling us into? Well, one thing that we know for certain is that it is impossible, based on this parable, it is impossible for you to serve God out of fear. It is impossible for you to serve God out of fear. And that sounds strange for a pastor to say or for a preacher to say because stereotypically that's how people think of religion, isn't it? They think that Christians are motivated out of fear. They're afraid of hell. They're afraid of judgment. And that's the only thing that keeps them on the straight and narrow. And critics of Christianity will come to you and say, listen, if you, if you can just get rid of that fear, you're going to be far happier in your life. You don't need God. You can have all of these things yourself. You don't have to have this fear hanging over you. Well, I agree that you don't have to have the fear hanging over you, but we're never going to rid ourselves of God. We can't get rid of the consciousness of God that is inscribed on our DNA from our creation. But what this parable does teach us is that we must relate to God as He really is and not as we fear Him to be. I want you to notice that the unfaithful servant has a very different perception of the master than the two faithful servants have. The unfaithful servant thinks that his master is narrow and mean and harsh. But is that actually how the master is? I mean, in this parable, this guy is just giving away tons of money. He doesn't give them any directions on how to do it. There's no expectation on his part, at least that comes through, that there's going to be problems for them if they don't somehow turn a profit. No, he just wants them to take care of it. And then when the two faithful servants come back and they, they bring the profits from their trading, what does he say? He says, enter into my joy. Come and celebrate with me. The picture that we have of God in this parable is a God who is gracious, a God who is extravagant with His mercy, a God who is loving, a God who is filled with joy. So why does the unfaithful servant have such a poor perception of the Master? Well, certainly he says that he's afraid. But I wonder if he's more afraid of the gift than of the master. He's petrified that anything would happen to this money. He can't be responsible for it. And so he buries it. But the faithful servants, they receive these gifts as gifts. And they enjoy and use these gifts. And that leads to a fruitful life. Folks, the distinction in this parable isn't between the number of talents given. Don't get hung up there. Why did this guy get five? Why did he get two? Why did he get... 
We all have different gifts, don't we? God gives us providentially different things that we have in our lives to to use for His glory. The distinction isn't in the number of talents given. No, the distinction is between a life of faith and a life of fear. The faithful servants took the gifts from their master and they used them. We have no idea how they did it. And that means there's no secret to a victorious Christian life. There's nothing that is being held back from you that if somehow you could just tap into that, then suddenly I'd be on fire for the Lord. No. They were just given life. Here's the money. Go out and spend it. Go out and use it. There's nothing special about what they did. There's nothing exemplary. They simply used the gifts that were given to them. And what was the result? Their lives were fruitful. They both saw the same percentage increase. It wasn't that the guy with the five talents was more successful than the guy with the two talents, is it? No, they both saw the same percentage increase. The unfaithful servant, however, the one who was afraid, he worried himself to death. He buried that life-giving gift that the master gave him. His fear drove him to inaction, and that's the only direction that a fear-based relationship with God will actually go. It will lead you to passivity. It will lead you to inaction. It will paralyze you because you're not sure what to expect from your God. The kind of life that Jesus calls us to is not complicated. It's simply our lives. It's what God has given you right now. You think about what you have, what resources you have, who you are, how God has made you. The secret to this parable is to use that for His glory. To live in the recognition that your life right now is a gift from God. God has given you time. God has given you resources. God has given you abilities to steward until Jesus comes back. And if you use a talent, it's going to grow. It's going to develop. If you believe in a hard spot in your Christian life, your faith will grow. If you obey when it would be easier to sin, you will grow in your holiness. If you serve, you will be given more opportunities and responsibilities to serve. If you use your mind for the glory of God, your capacities will increase. If you give your money away, the Lord is going to increase your ability to give. Folks, listen to me. You're playing with house money and you're guaranteed to win. All you have to do is take God at His word and believe that He is for you. Living by faith is a life of joy and assurance and eager anticipation. But too often we focus on what we lack. Too often we focus on what we lost. Too often we focus on what we're waiting for. And then instead of living with freedom, we live with fear. And that makes us live and think like the unfaithful servant, like God is out to get us, that our lives are ours to lose. But I want you to see that Jesus is telling His disciples this parable because 
He's going to enter into the darkness and torment of a life lost. He will be forsaken by God so that we will never have to be afraid. Jesus passes through death into life. And when He does that, He puts to death all of our fearful losing by freely giving to us His own life. That's the Gospel. Not that you come up with a life that is somehow worthy and pleasing to God, but that you live the life that He has given to you. What kind of life does Jesus live? What kind of life has He given you? Well, you can be absolutely certain that it's a life of faithfulness and it's a life of fruitfulness. And now He calls you to walk in it. To take it as your own. To see it at work in your life bringing fruitfulness and increase even in those places we might be tempted to see fear and loss. Here's the question. Will you take the money and run? Will you take the money? Will you take the gift? Will you recognize that the Master, God, is giving it to you out of pure grace? Or will you, in fear and in dread, hide your life away? The only one who is judged in this parable is the one who refused to play the game. God invites you to recognize that He's given you everything in Christ. You're guaranteed to win. So let's bet it all on black. Let's pray. Father, we're so foolish sometimes that we can't recognize the gift that we have been given. So help us to see. Help us to see the talent that you have given us, the life of Christ that is our own. And may, you, may we also have courage to walk in it, anticipating the day that Jesus returns and looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that voice and strength to persevere until that day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.